Section 1 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Roger Moline. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 1 Preface and Introduction Preface The feudal wars of Kentucky have, in the past, found considerable publicity through newspapers. Unfortunately, many newspaper reporters dealing with this subject were either deprived of an opportunity to make a thorough investigation of the facts, or permitted their imagination to supply what they had failed to obtain. At any rate, the result was distortion of the truth and exaggeration. Exaggeration is not needed to make Kentucky's feudal wars of thrilling, intensely gripping interest to every reader. More than a score of years were spent in the collection of this material, involving tedious and painstaking investigations. The greatest difficulty was experienced in separating truth from falsehood. Often the most vital facts could be obtained solely from the actors in the bloody dramas. The feudists and their relatives proved, quite naturally, partial or prejudiced, and at all times were reluctant to admit any fact detrimental to their side or favorable to their enemies. I believe, however, that I have succeeded with the aid of court records legislative investigations and official military reports in my task of producing a strictly authentic history of kentucky's famous feuds and their attending tragedies i trust that the publication of this volume will serve its designed purpose to make crime odious to illustrate the havoc that may be wrought anywhere through the lax inefficient or corrupt administration of justice to arouse the people, not of Kentucky only, but of the country at large, to the necessity of dealing sternly with crime and faithless officers. Charles D. Mutzenberg, Harlan, Kentucky, September 1916 Introduction A brief review of the history of Kentuckians may assist the reader to understand why they, a kind, hospitable people to the stranger, have so long borne the reputation of ready fighters who often kill upon the slightest provocation and deserve that reputation in a large measure. It is bred in the bone for a Kentuckian to quickly resent an insult or redress an injury. Long before the advent of the white man, Kentucky, then Fincastle County, Virginia, had been the vast hunting grounds of the Cherokees, Creeks, Chickasaws, and Catawbas of the South, and of the more hostile tribes of Shawnees, Delawares, and Wyandots of the North. These tribes, when chance brought them together on their annual hunts, engaged in conflicts so instant, so fierce and pitiless, that the territory became known as the Dark and Bloody Ground. It was indeed a hunter's paradise. Dense forests covered the mountains. Cane brakes fringed the banks of numerous beautiful streams, 
while to the west lay immense undulating plains. Forest, canebrake, and plain were literally alive with bear, deer, and the buffalo. The woods teemed with innumerable squirrels, pheasants, wild turkeys, and quail. The fame of this hunting ground had attracted bold and adventurous hunters long before Daniel Boone looked upon one of the most beautiful regions in the world from the crest of Cumberland Mountain. These hunters, upon their return home, gave glowing accounts of the richness and fertility of the new country, and excited powerfully the curiosity and imagination of the frontier backwoodsmen east of the Alleghanies and of North Carolina. To the hardy adventurers, the lonely wilderness, with its many dangers, presented attractions not to be found in the confinement and enfeebling inactivities of the towns and little settlements. Daniel Boone visited the new territory. He found that the descriptions he had received of it were by no means exaggerations, and decided to remove thither with his family. After some delay, amid many difficulties, the first white settlement, Harrodstown, or Harrodsburg, was established. Within a few years other stations sprang into existence, and population increased with amazing rapidity. Immigrants crossing the Cumberland Mountain settled in the eastern and central parts of Kentucky, while those traveling down the Ohio and Mississippi rivers generally located in the northern, western, and southern portions of the state. This invasion by the white man was not accomplished, however, without long-continued bloody struggles with the savages. To maintain the slender foothold Boone and his companions had gained required great courage and tenacity of purpose. The man who shivered at the winter's blast, or trembled at every noise, the origin of which he did not understand, was not known among those hardy settlers with nerves of iron and sinews of steel, who were accustomed from earliest childhood to absolute self-dependence and inured to exposure and dangers of every sort. Man, in this connection, must include the pioneer woman who by their heroism illustrated their utter contempt of danger and an insensibility to terrors which would palsy the nerves of men reared in the peaceful security of densely populated communities. Even children of tender years exhibited a courage and self-composure under trying circumstances that at this day seem unbelievable. The life of the Kentucky pioneer and backwoodsman was one of long and bitter struggle. Hunting, clearing the forest, plowing and fighting were his daily occupations. Every station had its conflicts with the savages who fought with relentless desperation when they found themselves gradually but surely driven from their beloved hunting grounds. These armed hunters and farmers were their own soldiers. They built their own forts. They did their fighting under commanders they had themselves chosen. They fought the foe in his own style, adopted his mode of warfare, 
and proved generally more successful than bodies of troops who battled under time-honored military tactics. The Indian understood the advantage of cover, and the white man copied his methods. Thus most of the Indian fights became nothing more nor less than ambuscades in which the side displaying the most skill in placing them won the victory. Boone, Kenton, Brady, Wetzel, all that galaxy of pioneers and Indian fighters of the early West fought the enemy from ambush. There were few courts, and the justices presiding over them knew but little law. If the law proved too slow, or courts were too far away, the settlers tried criminals and inflicted the punishment. The backwoodsman was prompt to avenge a wrong. He was grim, stern, strong, easily swayed by stormy passions, and always a lover of freedom to the core. He had suffered horrible injuries from the Indians, and learned to retaliate in kind. He became cruel and relentless toward an enemy, but was loyal to the death to his friends and country. He was upright and honest. These pioneers were indeed cast in the heroic mold. Many of them fell in the struggle, but there was no time for sentiment and wailing. Over the prostrate bodies of the fallen civilization marched triumphantly westward, and gave to America one of the most attractive regions, to the nation heroic soldiers, brilliant lawyers, men of science and of art, and a womanhood whose beauty and accomplishments are a byword everywhere. With the close of Indian hostilities came rapid development of the more easily accessible portions of the state. Intercourse with the East and North obliterated old habits and customs and primitive notions. The fertility of the soil created wealth, and with it came comfort. With increasing prosperity came that high intellectual development, so essential to a sound, moral public sentiment, respect for the law, and love of peace and order, the foundation stones of a happy social structure. Schools and churches demonstrated their all-powerful influence by the refinement and social purity of the inhabitants. The code duello which had formerly been restored to almost universally in settling personal differences was made a crime by law and completely disappeared. In the mountains, however, development was slow. That section remained isolated and practically cut off from intercourse with the more populous and advanced portions of Kentucky and surrounding states. Only in recent years have railroads begun to spread their iron network through the mountains, tapping the almost inexhaustible coal veins, mineral deposits of various kinds, wonderful forests of timber, until now that section has become the richest in the state. Education and refinement distinguished the bluegrass Kentuckian at an early date. He had long enjoyed the advantages of modern civilization, while his mountaineer brother yet lived in the primitive fashion of his forebears, and still remained a backwoodsman. 
he suffered the same privations and possessed the traits of character of the early pioneers of the bluegrass. For long years the mountain section remained a wilderness, with here and there a small settlement. The inhabitants lived the lives of frontiersmen and were generally poor. While many of them owned large tracts of land, its productiveness scarcely repaid the labor spent in cultivation. The great majority of these people were honest, upright, and hard-working, but the wilderness, the frontier, unfortunately attracts the vicious, the violent, the criminal, the shiftless, the outcast of better communities. Such characters have a pernicious influence upon those with whom they come in contact, especially upon the young and thoughtless fellows with a taste for viciousness. The mountains of the surrounding states of Virginia, West Virginia, and Tennessee offered admirable asylum to fugitives from justice of those states. As like seeks like, individuals and families of that stripe settled near each other, intermarried, and thus formed a dangerous element in an otherwise good population. Life in the wilderness, the frontier, is apt to bring out the true nature of the man, and his qualities, good or bad, are accentuated. The history of every frontier of this country is the same. The man who leaves the restraining influence of civilization behind him becomes either man or devil. If there is dog hair in a man, the wilderness, the frontier, will sprout it. When the wicked element in a community had once gained a foothold, it organized against possible interference. Once organization was complete, all attempts to enforce law and order were promptly stifled through terrorization, which intimidated courts and overawed the officers of the law. Under such circumstances, the good element has but one alternative to lie supinely on its back and ask to be killed, or to organize and strike back at the enemy, to destroy the vicious with powder and shot, in open fight if possible, from ambush if necessary, as their sires fought in the days of the Indian. Herein lies the secret of the long-continued bloody internecine strifes which have made the dark and bloody ground of the Indian days more dark and more bloody. Herein we find the ready and clear explanation of the fact that many men of unquestioned integrity and honor were thrown into the vortex of bloody strife from necessity to fight for preservation of themselves, their families, their firesides. Immigration into these remote mountain regions was almost nil and intermarriage between the settlers became the rule. In this wise, the population of any county comprised but very few distinct families. Everybody was kin to everybody else, and therein we find the key to the difficulties encountered by courts in dealing with crime. The murderer, if a member of a prominent family, was certain to have kinsmen among the officers. We may as well use the present tense in speaking of this, for the same conditions exist today, though less pronounced. 
his family man woman and child stand by him aid his escape or his defense in the courthouse if the criminal conscious of the supporting influence surrounding him disdains flight and boldly faces trial the next move is to secure a jury which will acquit him it often happens that those interested in the prosecution secretly come to an agreement with the accused and his friends to cease prosecution provided he and his in their turn would do the same to them in cases of their own it is merely a case of you scratch my back and i'll scratch yours citizens who love peace are loath to antagonize an outlaw clan so long as they or theirs are not directly concerned they have no desire to assist officers in doing their duty should these wish to do it to indict men for crime is often a risky thing the criminal who has succeeded in defeating justice grows more bold continues to pursue his career with an enhanced contempt of the law until at last the cup runs over and men good and true rise above self and for countries and humanity's sake take upon themselves the task of restoring peace and order and summarily cut short the life cycle of the outlaw how far such organized bands of murderers have succeeded in overawing the constituted authorities is illustrated by instances recorded in this volume where the law the government itself actually compromised with the outlaws promised yea granted them immunity from past crimes only exacting a pledge of better behavior in the future if a man had committed but one little murder he was in some danger of a short term in the penitentiary if he understood his business instead of stopping at one assassination he simply continued his murder mill in operation and the authorities would send special ministers and envoys to treat with him as a power entitled to respect exaggeration no officers of the law have actually aided in assassinations or stood idly by while murders were committed in their presence investigation has proven that in every feud-ridden section the entire legal machinery was rotten to the core perverted to the end and purpose of protecting particular men and of punishing their enemies is it any wonder then that in such times and under such conditions preaching respect for law is breath wasted sifting the matter down we find that the chief contributing causes of these feudal troubles wherever they have occurred or may again occur are due directly to inefficient corrupt and depraved official to a want of a healthy moral public sentiment through lack of proper education and religious training to the fact that the law-abiding element of feud-ridden counties has so long been domineered over by the criminal class and their parasites and supporters in secret that they are incapable of rendering any valuable assistance in maintaining the law save in few exceptions 
and these few so much in the minority that a reformation is not to be hoped for if left to their own resources that during all the social chaos attending feudal wars the promiscuous unrestrained and illegal sale of whiskey added fury fire and venom to the minds and hearts of murderers it dragged into the terrible vortex of bloody crime many not directly connected with the feud but who took advantage of the disturbed social conditions the state of anarchy to satisfy their own vicious propensities without fear of interruption and punishment the clannishness of the mountaineer has been the subject of much comment the student of sociology must therefore be interested in learning that in a great measure the people of the kentucky mountains descended from the same stock that formed the noted scottish clans of old one need only run over the names of the principal mountain families to recognize their scott origin the scots love the highlands and to the highlands of kentucky many of them drifted scotland had her feuds those of the kentucky mountains are nothing more nor less than transplanted scottish feuds their continuation having been made possible by the reasons heretofore given we believe it germane to the matter under discussion to add that not only feuds but mobs and the like are and ever have been the direct outgrowth of a lack of confidence of the people in their courts the shameful night rider outrages in the western part of kentucky a few years ago in a section which had boasted of a civilization superior by far to that of the mountaineers where schools and churches are to be met with at every corner were the outcome so it is claimed of the failure of the law to deal sternly with the lawless tobacco trust the original wrongdoer in the noted tobacco war if this were true if this justified the destruction by incendiaries of millions of dollars worth of property brutal whippings the indiscriminate slaughter of entire families without regard to age or sex the butchery of little children for aiding the tobacco trust no doubt then indeed is the mountaineer feudist also innocent of wrongdoing more so for he at least never made war upon suckling infants nor have women suffered harm except in one or two instances nor is the cultured bluegrass citizen free to censure him when he calls to mind the outrages of the toll-gate raids or takes into account the numerous lynching bees proceedings from which the mountains have always been practically free in view of all this we cannot go far from wrong when we say that the law's delay the failure to punish promptly impartially and severely its infractions must shoulder the responsibility of all social disturbances and this is true in new york in the west as well as in kentucky end of section one